Hello, everybody, and welcome to Molly Movie Club. I'm Casey Miratori. I'm Anna Ripberg. And today's movie, I, I asked Anna before we started if it was my turn to introduce the movie, and unfortunately it is. <laughs> I have to introduce you to a movie called Dune. It is not the David Lynch version, which we have not yet seen on Movie Club. It is the new version by Denis Vienno. I don't know. We, we looked up the pronunciation, and even with the pronunciation guide, still suck at it. Yeah. I, I don't know. Denny Villeneuve? Villeneuve? We know this director well. We've seen many things by him, mm-hmm. but we just haven't ever gotten the name right. <laughs> it's, a na- it's a tough name. It's yeah. a tough name for, the, for those of us who don't speak French. We need to go back to Le Grand Bleu. That I yeah, could handle. Yeah. This is too advanced for me. This is like the, the, the level two class, yeah, and I'm still exactly, in the level one exactly. class. So uh, this film is the first of our recent film series. Prior to this, we really hadn't done any movies that were new. The newest things we were doing were like Interstellar or something, which was yeah, we haven't done any a good like ten plus years. Yeah, ago. we haven't done any new releases yet. And so we're jumping forward this month to releases that came out like basically this year or last year. And Dune was fairly popular when it came out, at least for a Denis film. Like, previously he had done Blade Runner 2049, which more or less failed at the box office. Now, failure in this case is obviously all relative. It's a failure in much the same way that Master and Commander was a failure, meaning that it wasn't like no one went to see it. It's just not enough people went to see it for a big-budget film. Mm -hmm. Dune, on the other hand, was successful. Like, I believe they're making another one. Yeah. They were happy with the take. It wasn't a failure like Blade Runner 2049 was. So this was kind of the first, like, big-budget breakthrough for Denny. He had done, like, well, he The did Arrival, Arrival. Yeah. Uh, which was a much smaller film uh, and, and other s- such films. But, this, you know, Blade Runner 2049 was supposed to be a big one, and it wasn't. This one was his first big one. Anna Rettberg, what mm. did you think of Dune? Uh, Okay, well, so I feel like... I feel like this is going to be the most controversial episode of Molly Movie Club so far because... That may be. Neither of us really like it. <laughs> I do not like it. <laughs> um, and particularly for me, I don't like the visual style. I don't like Denny. I'm just going to call him Denny, so I don't have to yes. worry about the last yes. name. I don't like how his movies look. Um, pretty strongly, I feel that way about his movies. I don't think they're good looking. Right there with you. And um, I know that's... Sort of controversial. I mean, it's also not because I've heard from plenty of film people who also don't like them. So I know it's not like super, super controversial, I guess. But I don't know. He's, I think he's a polarizing director visually. Yeah. And I guess what I would say is that uh, in terms of cinematography, I guess that like you can't call him like incompetent or something. No, right? no, no, no. So I wouldn't go so far as to like as to criticize in that fashion, meaning he is obviously constructing these things very intentionally. Yes. The shots all look very specific. Yes. So it's not really a case of me going like, this guy sucks. It's more like, for whatever reason, what he wants to put on a screen is not what I want to see on screen. Exactly. It's kind of what's happening. Exactly. Like, he basically has one thing he does. Yes. Which is, there's a really bright white light in the scene somewhere, and everything is dark against it. Yeah. And that's it. and there's no color other than like a, one sort of wash of well, color. Well, there's also very much like extremely few very strong lines. Usually a trapezoid. In most of the shots, it's 
there's very little in them. They're extremely minimal. Yeah. Very sparse. Well, I was thinking about that too, like the different, so I mean, in this movie, you go, you're on multiple different planets with mm-hmm. uh, three, we'll say main different, I guess four, if you count the Emperor's people, four different like races or groups of, not races, they're all humans. Yeah, I guess they're supposed to be humans. Groups of people, right? Like cultures. Are they supposed to be humans? I'm sorry. For, for those of us who haven't human. read the novel, I haven't read the novel, I think you have. I have, but I only read the first yeah. one and I really liked it, but. Okay. Um, Are these humans? Yeah, well, and, this, and even in the okay. movie, they say humans multiple times. Oh, okay. Um, but I, I'm I, sure that, that implies that there's other people who are not humans. Anyway, all I was trying to say is that, like, for those different groups of people, the the only way I can tell you can really tell them apart is by costuming and, like, casting and, like, how the people look. The environments all look exactly the same. Yes. The ships all look exactly the same. Yes. And and extremely minimal. Like yes. at that, there's very little actual detail in any of the sets and environments. And they're it's like you it, they're the same for all of them. Yes. Um I think for me the strongest part of this movie is actually like I, I do enjoy like the costumes. Um the, there is a couple of times when there were costumes on parade, like at the beginning when there's this giant egg that lands. Yeah. And a bunch of guys walk out of that thing mm-hmm. and they have these weird like dome helmets on and stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was probably what I thought was best about the design of the movie was those weird costumes. Yeah. And there's know? like uh, throughout the movie, I, there's a lot of like that, like weird, yeah. cool, like creative costume. Yeah. And, and and like and not just costumes, the people wearing them, too. The costume oh, designer was obviously good. Yeah, and 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 that's what gives the movie any character, like in terms of the the different ra- uh, groups of people. Yes. The uh the way it's shot doesn't. There's there's may- I mean maybe you could say there's a little bit of like color variation, but hardly because this movie is very very little color. It's there's almost black color. and white. It almost feels like it, a black and white film. It's it's desaturated. To, yeah. It's basically like it's desaturated almost all the way and then tinted all the one, way to one it's color. Like you you pretty much. Yeah. You're only seeing a particular Which color. Which just lends it to it feels mo- like these the, the movie feels monochromatic. It basically throughout. does. It, it might as well be a black and white movie. It yeah. might as well be. Yeah, cuz and when they do use color it's it's extremely minimal. Very spare. And the white the light is always bright white. Um so it washes out kind of everything. And it's just like yeah, you have this intense white light. Like the, the desert stuff really bugged me. Sorry, I'm, I know I'm like hogging this, but no, just, I, I, I love it when you hog it. The, the worst, <laughs> the worst episodes are ones where I have to talk the whole time. Well, it's way I, better when you talk. I'm just gonna go because for me, the main, my main things that are sticking in my head are all the visual stuff that I don't care for. Like the desert, I, the desert is like I don't like the aesthetic of it at all. I don't like how it's white sky. Yep. And then like just brown, like yep. it's so brown yeah. and like ugly, yep. and and it doesn't feel hot. It feels cold. You know that is. I'm really glad you said that because that is one of the most striking things to me about this film. Yeah. In and we contrast it with Lawrence of Arabia. Right. In Lawrence of Arabia, you feel hot. Oh, the whole watching time. the yes. movie. Yes. In this movie, never felt it once. Yeah. Yeah. Cold, no, totally. All the time, always cold. Yeah. No, because it's like Lawrence of Arabia is my favorite movie. Yeah. Obviously so, a masterpiece. It's unfair to compare anything to that yeah, movie, yeah. And, but... And I mean, it's like Dune is actually sort of based on like... It feels T. E. very T.E. No, T. E. Lawrence. I mean, it is. Okay, it yeah. is. Like... Because I haven't read the book, so I'm just going on the movie. Like, it feels very T.E. Oh, it Lawrence. definitely yeah. is. It definitely is. It's got a lot of parallels with Lawrence of Arabia, and so yes. it's it's hard not to compare them sometimes. I mean, I think about Lawrence of Arabia, too. There's so many scenes in the desert. I mean, the whole movie's in the desert, and they all feel so different, depending... And they, yeah. they perfectly match yeah. the feeling of the scene that's taking place in them, right? Yeah. Then I think about Dune, and it's like the whole movie just looks like one thing. It looks exactly the same. 
And if you love that thing, then it maybe that's okay. I mean, it's it does lend the movie this like this flatness, this hollowness, like emotionally. I think. I mean, yes, I would totally agree. Um, which also isn't helped by the fact that the characters are also very hollow. And, the whole movie just and feels... everyone's delivery is identical except for Jason Momoa, which also doesn't help. Yeah, no, yeah. totally. It's like the whole thing is just like it's very visually, monotonous. narratively, yes. character. Everything is just like one thing, and yes. it's like flat and level and never changes. Yes, and is like everything is monochromatic. Yes, it's basically a Mumford and Sons song as a movie. <laughs> And, like, if you like that, then I guess that's fine. But, yeah. like, if you were expecting, you know, a key change somewhere in this thing, you're not going to get it. So don't don't wait for it. Yeah. Don't wait for the bass to drop because the bass ain't going to drop. It's just <laughs> the first part of the dubstep song. Um, so the other thing I would say about the cinematography in the film uh, before we move on to the editing, which is actually, I'm willing to call the editing incompetent because I think it is. Yeah. I would say objective mistakes yeah. for a movie that wasn't, that isn't intentionally trying to confuse you, which I never got the sense. This isn't like supposed to be a film where you're confused all the time. There are films that will use editing to intentionally confuse you. This film, as far as I can tell, was trying very hard to tell a story, so much so, one of the things I'll complain about later is massive exposition dumps. You don't have massive exposition dumps in a movie where you then have editing intended to confuse the audience about what's happening. Mm -hmm. So I I'm willing to just say it's objectively bad editing. Cinematography, not willing to say objectively bad, but just trying to point out reasons I didn't like it, like you are. Mm -hmm. The desert is supposed to be vast. Like one of the things that's scary or interesting about a desert is that if you are stranded in a desert, which happens in this film and is supposed to be a part of it, yes. is that it's very, you're supposed to feel very helpless, that it is goes on in all directions and there's no sign of civilization. And, well, and the heat, the heat is like... The uh, heat is supposed to be brutal. Yeah. Not only do I never see any like heat shimmers in this movie. There's a little, there's, there's very, like, very little, little mirage. Very little mirage. Very little mirage, which makes it not look hot. Yeah, yeah. But also, they do a lot of shooting so the camera angle choices are bad for emphasizing scale. Mm -hmm. They do a lot of shooting with lenses that feel compressy, shooting from top down sometimes, mm -hmm. but often high angled down, mm -hmm. which makes the desert feel small. Yeah, It feels like a small desert to me. When I watch yes. this movie, I never get the sense that it's this vast expanse. It always yep. feels like a little tiny desert with a city next to it. So I actually had the same feeling throughout the movie, not just with the desert scenes. I, I got the feeling in a lot of scenes like you that it was on a soundstage, like... It had Which a little, was, it had that yeah. feeling to me sometimes where it yes. felt like the the room the world like where the scene just kind of dropped off. Yes. Somehow even though like there are C, there is CG yes. behind them like you could feel it drop off. Yeah. Um I totally felt that yep. uh, fairly frequently throughout this movie. No, it's uh, yeah, I I just I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. Um and sometimes that's probably fine because like we said it's very clear that like directorally the des the idea for the frames of this film mm -hmm. is that they are sparse right so unlike for example sometimes you know I'll see this in a movie that's not designed to be sparse you get that soundstage feel and it's really bad right because you're like there's all this activity in the foreground and nothing exactly, in the background exactly Blade Runner 2049 would be a good example of that happening mm -hmm. happens a bunch of times in that film where like his he's not doing sparse stuff in the foreground mm -hmm. and then the background's like empty mm -hmm. But um, in this movie, he keeps it sparse always in the foreground. Always, yeah. So 
it maybe doesn't feel as bad that there's nothing on the background, but it's still not yeah. great. You know, I, I agree. It's definitely, it's not, it's not terrible or yeah. something. But it's I, not as bad in this as it's been in other things. Not just him, other people. Too, yeah, right? I think that's a that's a thing you see a lot now. You see it a lot. Just yeah. based on the way that CG is just what everybody does now for their, their like, larger environment stuff. And, I you know, it's just part of it, I think. I, I, I don't know exactly why it happens, but it definitely happens. It yeah. seems to be a thing, yeah. So I don't know where we want to go with this. Did you want to talk anymore? Did you want to move on to the editing? Which I mean, we kind of talk about. I don't know. I, I think. I mean, I think we both sort of agree. I guess on on the cinematography a little bit on this. Yeah, I don't. think I think there's, much uh, there's to say a handful of like shot compositions that are kind of nice, interesting. Um, you know, he tends to really like these like strong, simple compositions with these you know very sparse, minimal you know a couple figures in a shot, and he you know. When you're doing with like minimalist stuff, like it can be fairly easy to set up like a, a dramatic looking shot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a few of those in the movie. Although in general, I would say, eh, like, there's not a lot of them. But yeah. like the the first time that Baron Harkonnen goes up, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's it's kind of nice because you get this. He has these very long robes yeah, on, yeah. kind of make it's this nice creepy. drapey quilt kind of look. Yeah, it's like a strong center line of the image, and then like two black sides on either you know dark yeah, sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and stuff like that looks good. Unfortunately, like even as I'm trying to say something complimentary to the movie, that scene is dumb because Baron Harkin is not going anywhere at that point, and there's no reason for him to go that high up in the sky. Yeah, just, so it's, it's pretty clearly we just wanted yeah. this shot, and they didn't motivate it at all. Oh right? man, the most cringy um, one of those for me. Sorry, this is a slight aside. You can go for it. At the end, when like um. Paul, when he sees like a, a vision of himself in the future, like fighting, like they pop out of the oh, sand, yeah, they yeah. fight, and like there's this, you know, they're all wearing these like masks yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever, and he like finishes fighting and he turns to the camera yeah, yeah, yeah. and he just like the the face mask like comes up and he's just like there, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, what the heck is that? Like, yeah. it, was, it almost made me laugh. Yeah. Um, sorry. Anyway, but that was a, sort of a side where it's like that that's not a thing that anyone does or would happen. He's just doing it for the audience's sake. Like it was weird. There's multiple of those <laughs> laugh out loud moments for me in this movie. Yeah. Most of them are when Hans Zimmer's horrid oh, score, which is probably the worst part of this movie kicks in. It's rough. It has like basically like what amounts to a Lion King level, like opening of Lion King level punch of uh, a singer yeah. uh, just, just ex, you know, extemporizing. Uh, I mean, I don't think there are any actual words that I would understand. No, it's, Maybe, just, it's just like, it's just a, like it, either extemporizing or in some language, I don't know. Um, And uh, they basically just like <laughs> they hit with that. <laughs> they with hit no with other, that with no warning, and it just sounds like there's suddenly a lady screaming in the scene. Yes, yeah, yes. And this happens again um, and again. Maybe I shouldn't say extemporizing. That's probably the wrong term. Uh, let's just say like there are vocals that are not designed to be understood. They maybe are very carefully. Sure, planned, it's just it's just but, a, it's just a uh, like a, a yell basically, and it's extraordinarily loud and piercing. Like it's mixed to be yeah. violently piercing. Well, the weird thing is, and when, it happens. Every time that happens in this film, I chuckled. Every time. Yeah, because when it hits at first, it just sounds like it's someone in the scene doing that. It does. And then eventually the other, it, like, the rest of the music kind of comes <clears throat> with it, and you're like, oh, this is music. But it's like, that's, it's just, every time it hits, it's it's like off. It's weird. It's yeah. like, it, your brain is like, who who's shouting? <laughs> it reminded me every time of uh, the musical Book of Mormon, which you haven't seen yet, <laughs> but they make fun of that aspect of Lion King in that mm. musical. Mm. <laughs> so, I actually don't know that there's that much more about the music I would say. 
it's well, it's horribly screechy the entire time, very monotonous like the rest of the movie. And every time they they did that stinger, I laughed. It's it's a horrible score. I feel like you're forgetting to mention the one the other part, which oh, is the bagpipes. The bagpipes, yeah. I have that written down. I was going to go in that with story. Oh, the, okay. But, Bagpi- but yeah. Bagpipes is story. Because, yeah. Oh, man. The bagpipes were an interesting choice. They were, they were okay in the first scene where they're, like, leaving the ship. Yeah. But when it hits, it comes back again in that, like, fight yeah. scene. And it's like, because it's a very, uh, it's like a positive sounding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's right. It's like, it's, yeah. it's like major and kind yeah. of like. Yeah. And it does, man. It does not yeah, work. Yeah, you gotta have, you gotta be a bold composer to go for bagpipes, and Hans Zimmer is not good enough. <laughs> yeah, and it's like an army of bagpipes. Very bad. Anyway, anyway. Uh, I loved the fact that there were bagpipes because, again, like I imagine that if you went and back and read the book, that some of these things make sense. But I, you know, that doesn't like a movie. To for me, movies have to stand on their own. I, if your argument is, well, go read the book, and then this movie isn't so bad. I just I have no patience yeah. for that because you shouldn't have made a movie I mean, to me, unless, or yeah. you should have said this movie isn't for, like put a big warning on label and says that don't watch this movie. You haven't read the books, which nobody ever says, right? Um, I think the other big issue but, though with the bagpipes is it's trying to like because of what I talked about before visually how all of the different groups of people, the different houses, yeah. don't feel any different. Like you could imagine if the the Atreides felt if there's like visually in their world, in the way they dress, if there was more sort of, like, culture there. Well, this is what I was going to complain about. I see. I was literally just about to complain about that. I'm like, they literally do this thing where they're like, yeah, yeah, we've got a giant bull statue that we put, uh, I mean, a bull head that we put above the door that looks like bad lodge dressing from, like, you know, 1870. We've got this little crappy modernist sculpture of, like, a bull thing, and uh, Daddy says that Grandpa fought bulls. So what, you know, what culturally goes with bullfighting? Well, bagpipes, of course. Like, you know, everyone yeah. knows that there's tons of bagpipes at a bullfight. So from watching the movie, you're like, wait, what? Like, yeah, I thought yeah. this was like Spanish-influenced culture or something was what you were bullfight. And then, no, you're like bagpipes, which is fine for a futuristic film because, you know, if you want to tell me like, okay, these people came out of Scottish and Spanish culture or they're they're European, generally speaking, or right, something right, like that, yeah. that's fine. It kind of jumps me into one of my biggest complaints with this movie. We'll just kind of go all over the place because that's, you know, there's so many complaints. I'm going to yeah, just let it flow. Just up. let it flow, man. There is no freaking development of anything in this movie. Mm-hmm. They're like, supposedly they're on their home planet or something. I don't, I don't even know if it's their home planet. They're on a planet that they've been for a while. They said they, quote unquote, ruled this planet with sea and air or something like that mm-hmm. they said yes yeah, he, he like says that. he says this and he's like in you know he's talking about how when they go to spice world they're going to rule it with desert power uh he talks about them ruling this planet so it's either their home planet or like they came there like someone the emperor at a previous time said go colonize this planet and they did or something so i don't know but they did that right the mm-hmm. phrase rule this planet as far as the movie is concerned there's nothing there. Yeah. We see literally nothing on that planet. It's some cliffs. There's no indigenous population. There's no cities. There's no towns. There's nothing on it. Yeah. They're like, I'm like, what do you mean rule the planet with air power? What did you rule? Are there goats somewhere? Like, what <laughs> What are you ruling? There's nothing there. 
I, I, there isn't even an establishing shot that shows something there that we don't see. Yeah, because the, the establishing shot of that Cal- Caladan is it's just, just a bunch of clouds. It's just a cla- some low clouds in a mountainous sort of range, and you're like, uh, okay, I mean, it's all right. It's the most incompetent, like, expositional establishment I've ever seen in a movie. It's It's got to be the worst that I've ever seen. Yeah, because it gives you no sense it, of, like, what the actual role of the Atreides family is, like who they are, how their people see them, like how, it, how how they rule, what they, yeah. Okay, this movie, in the opening, in the opening of this movie, voiceover exposition dump. Mm-hmm. Temporally alienating exposition dump. Mm-hmm. R- that's just like visual exposition mm-hmm. dump, right? Yeah. Dude watching a documentary exposition dump. Yep. At no point... Do they ever just show a freaking shot of life on that planet? Yep. It's, it is seriously one of the most incompetent narrative constructions I've ever seen in a film. Ever. Nobody gets it this wrong. They used every single device they possibly could to convey basically no information, and none of the information was necessary. While at the same time, in the first five minutes, while they're doing all of those things completely failing to give you any actual scene information about where the hell you are and yeah. who the people are. Yep. It's really just, like, this is where I part ways. The cinematography I, is is what it is. This is just terrible. It's mm-hmm. just plain incompetent. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's like, and it's not helped by the fact that the characters are all super flat Uninteresting, well, yeah, uncharismatic. With the exception, with the exception all, of, yeah. of Jason Momoa, he brought a lot of life to this picture. When he was on the screen, it felt like a different movie. Yeah, you're like oh, like there are actual humans in this movie with like yeah. characters. Like yeah. th- this doesn't feel like an actual, an actual place with actual people. No, it never. All. Yeah. Um, and I think, but part of that too, like I said, I think is just. So this mistake that I just said, where like the opening of the movie, they use every technique in the book, the ham-fisted kind, that you really shouldn't be using. Voiceovers, flash forwards, flashbacks, dream sequences, uh, dude watching a documentary, which he does throughout the entire film. Yeah. They couldn't figure out how to tell this story at all. They were completely helpless at it. And then basic things that any filmmaker would know how to do. Show a shot from daily life. Watch Paul Atreides go shopping. I don't care. Anything. Just show me where does he live, what does he do, how does he act. They couldn't manage any of that. Yeah, because it's also like, you know, you're supposed to... So the whole thing is like the Emperor has kind of grown a little bit fearful, I guess, of the Atreides. They they called him jealous. Jealous. He thinks they're maybe getting too powerful. Yeah, this is sad. Um... And yeah, it would have been maybe nice to get a sense of like why that might be, um, like anything about the way in which they rule their planet that might give you information about. I just wanted some evidence in the film that anything the characters were saying was true. Right. This is a film where if you didn't have the characters literally tell you what was happening, you'd never know because none of the things that are said are ever shown. Mm-hmm. We don't see them ruling that planet. No. We don't see it even being inhabited. Yeah. We don't see any of this happening at Spice World either, which is really Arrakis. interesting to me. So let me just just draw a, a comparison. Same exact thing happens on Spice World. Yes. In Spice World, they land in Spice World with their little uh, Jawa, the sandcrawler things. Mm-hmm. What are those things called? In Jawa? The, you know the Jawas drive around and then they sell droids at the bottom? Sandcrawler? That. 
Yeah. They drive around these little sand crawler things. They look like they're from Star Wars. They have like a ton of those things. They land, mm-hmm. right? I guess mm-hmm. they don't drive around. They just kind of land them. Mm-hmm. And the general guy there, he basically gives them like this, the sit rep. Yeah. And they're looking out. He and Daddy Atreides are like looking out over the city. And the general guy's like, there's the spaceport. And there's the spice refinery. Mm-hmm. And there's the blah. And as far as this movie is concerned, literally pointing at something that's like 300 pixels <laughs> on the screen three times at the outset of this thing was more than enough for them to establish that this is a city. Do we see any of those scenes in the city? No, we don't. Do we see anything happen in the city? No, we don't. Do we see any inhabitants of the city? No, we don't. Is there a restaurant, a clothing store, a market, an alley, a homeless shelter, anything? Never. They take five minutes of the film to watch Paul Atreides look at some palm trees from like the Stanford campus and talk to a dude about how they're not indigenous. That's the, that is the shot, one, singular, that we get of the city. Everything else is either someone's bedroom or the place where they land their little dragonflies. Yeah. Ridiculous. No, it's true. It's like you never see anything ever. Like, never. And everything is so empty. It's not a city. It's a model. It's a thing we showed you a picture of. Yeah. It's, it's, It's the same as saying, hey, this is the city we live in and pointing at a picture. It's not a city. A picture with no people in it. It's not a yeah. real city. Yeah. You just made that up. Yeah, it's, it is pretty weird. It it's is terrible. pretty weird. And I don't know. It's like... Again, just replace the, the thing with the palm trees with Paul Atreides going shopping. Paul Atreides wants to buy an orange. Well, or, or he's, he's a, you know, he wants to go see, the, the, you know, he's like a ruler, right? He, he's... He wants to go see, like, what planet he's landed on. Yes. He, was, he was watching this documentary on this planet, and yes. these people, like, he's he's interested. Doesn't he want to go see? Yes, that's why I said he goes shopping. He, like, you know, oh, Dad doesn't want me leaving the compound, but I put my hood over my head and snuck out into the market to see how the people live. Five minutes, and suddenly it feels like a city. They could not be bothered. Yeah. yeah. You know? They just, as far as they're concerned, if someone just says it's a city, it's a city. But that's not how movies work mm-hmm. to me. It, the movie, the stuff has to be in the film. Saying yeah. something yeah. doesn't count, right? No, I totally agree. So aggravating. It's, this whole movie has such a feeling of like hollowness and emptiness. Part of it's the visuals. It's a facade of a, of a narrative. It, well, it, it's everything. Everything lends itself to that. Like the, yes. a, the, the performances, which I'm assuming is partly directing. One uh, would assume. The environment, the, the way it's shot. And the, the story itself and the script itself. Like everything gives this movie this feeling of just like hollowness it feels like a non-experience almost like you come out of it and you're like uh, okay you know totally it's i mean it, it just it feels like a movie didn't even happen when you're watching it yeah it's very strange i know we're, we've got to be I, i'm sure like we're in the minority here i don't know it seems like people because you know you see people calling this like a masterpiece and i can't stuff. get there i can't get there i don't understand uh, like, I would actually, like, literally argue with someone who called it a masterpiece because normally if someone calls something a masterpiece, I'm like, well, you know, masterpiece is subjective. Yes. You know, I'll call something a masterpiece. You call something a masterpiece. It's like, well, you know, it's subjective. Of course. Movies are subjective. It, They're always going to be. But, like, calling something a masterpiece that has so many absolutely objective mistakes in it that are basic, like, simple mistakes, 
seems pretty weird. It's like, yeah. it's like I don't know if you call it a masterpiece. I you could say you loved it. I have two. But a masterpiece? I this ha- is not a masterpiece. I have like two theories on people who say that. Okay. One is that maybe they just really like this style. Maybe it just clicks for them, right? Because you could call it a visual masterpiece and just it's like if, you really think it's beautiful you and, love that, and it, you do. If you just love that totally visual fair. style. The other, my other theory on that is that if all you've ever seen modern movies, if you go to Dune, it probably does feel, you're like, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like this before. Because like, if you haven't watched like Lawrence of Arabia or right, the original right. Blade Runner or something... Yeah. You know, you don't, you might think that, like, because Dune definitely looks better and more thought through visually and interesting than, like, a Marvel movie. No question. Right, that's true. If you compare Dune to an MCU picture. You're like, oh, you were like, oh, it's a masterpiece, They both right? suck at the narrative, yeah. right? Uh, MCU has much better acting, typically, yes. than something like Dune does. So yeah. I don't know about that. And better characters. Better yeah. better characters and acting, usually. Yeah. You know, they, they, they hire good actors and they let them do their shtick. They this movie feels like they're very yeah, toned they, down. They, right? they at least allow some like personality in their characters, some lightness, some humor. And most just... people in an MCU movie would be acting like Jason Momoa acts in this movie, not right. like the rest of the characters act. But right. you know, so most of the stuff is pretty bog standard in MCU. It's it's pretty bog standard these days in Dune, which mm-hmm. is to say very low quality. Mm-hmm. But the visuals in Dune are way better than MCU visuals because they're very deliberate. Well, and MCU visuals right? in particular are just horrendous. They're just garbage on so, the screen. Yeah, they, they, they're very like. M- m- gaudy they're just kind of a mush there's Mm -hmm. not a lot of thought behind it whereas this one it was very clear that someone thought about every shot and I I fully believe that each shot looked the way he wanted it to look like it wasn't just like I don't know whatever ended up on the screen is fine Um, Uh, I just think you know for me it's like I don't care for that visual style and I also don't like how it doesn't support the characters or or the narrative yeah in any way, it just it ends it ends up with, a, and I think all his movies end up with that same feeling because the visual style is so samey and so like hollow. Yeah. Like all of his movies for me feel just like nothing movies. They feel so empty and hollow. Did he do Sicario? I think he did. So that one felt different. I was gonna say. So I would say Sicario uh, actually felt less like that. Maybe because he's shooting in the real world more. Um, yeah, Sicario, he he did direct. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, that one didn't. I I I almost wouldn't have thought it was him. I mean, it's been a while since I saw yeah, it. I didn't love that movie, but it's much better than this yeah, movie. Yes, much better. Uh, yeah. So I would say directing wise, it didn't feel nearly as bad as as something like a Blade Runner twenty forty nine or a Dune, which which to me both felt really yeah. really bad. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. Uh. It, it. So he he obviously does do different things sometimes. I guess. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that was a fluke, but you know what I'm saying. Well, it could just be too. That's an older one. Like maybe as he's gone along in his career, he's felt like. Well, also it's sci- it's not sci-fi. So maybe when he goes sci-fi, mm-hmm. maybe he's thinking these things are more are supposed to feel weirder. They're supposed to feel different, mm-hmm. or, or maybe just his brain goes there. You know, it could be that he that's the way he wants it yeah. and he thinks of it that way. And it's like you know that's just what it is. I think he just I think he just thinks it looks cool, and I think for you know he likes this visual visual style, and it seems to me like that's. What he's going for mostly, yeah. Like, um, and I, I think the thing too is for me, it's like I don't know that I hate that style for a couple scenes in the movie. I just don't like it for every scene in the movie. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, yeah. I would also say that, like, <sighs> directing wise, I would say the the quality of the framing and that sort of stuff. It ends there. So yeah. the other problem I have with a lot of this stuff is like motion inside scenes is usually also bad. So I don't like the way he puts shots together 
like, uh, we're going to talk about editing in a minute because I think the editing is atrocious. Mm-hmm. But, like, a classic example of this in Dune would be uh, character introduction for uh, Duncan Idaho's, Jason Momoa's mm-hmm. character. So normally you shoot this shot is the landing ramp comes down from his craft. He walks out and his helmet's on. He's looking at the camera. He takes off the helmet, holds it by his side, and says, like, hey, Paul, how's it going? And gives him a big hug, mm-hmm. right? That's how everyone, every director in the history of time would shoot this shot. It's just <laughs> an obvious thing. How does Denis shoot this shot? Well, Jason Momoa comes down the ramp, still wearing his helmet, so we have no idea who it is, walks past the camera, over to a box. He is now facing away from the camera, takes off his helmet while his back is to us, so we do not get the character <laughs> reveal, puts it down, turns around to face us for the first time in the film while Timothy Chalamet is blocking half of his angle. So it's like, <laughs> it's almost like you were trying intentionally to make a character entrance not occur. You're like, I really don't want to introduce this character. Oh, t- turn the camera away. Turn it away. You know, I know, it's, like, it's funny too, especially it's absurd. He, he ends, I, like... He, for me, is the best character in the movie. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, like, he's the one you, I, I found myself actually becoming attached to, and, like, you actually care when he dies. He's the only person you can relate to in this film. Yeah, yeah, he's the only one who feels human. Yeah. Um, everybody else just feels like... Very wooden. Just a cardboard cutout of yeah. a person. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Even the Freeman, who are supposedly this, like, ragtag, like, you know, mm-hmm. resistance movement, they sound like aristocracy. They talk... In like very brief, like press release style <laughs> statements, it's very they're strange. Trying, yeah, I mean, they're and like this is also where like the Lawrence of Arabia comparisons really come in, because the Fremen are like are the Arabs, right? They're right, the, right. The, 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 tribe, Bedou- they're the, the tribes Bedouin. of the the Bedouin of the of the desert. Yeah. Yeah, um, <clears throat> and uh, you know, even that whole final scene is is very similar to um, a really pivotal scene in Lawrence. Um, you know, the first time that either them, you know, it's the first time, I guess, Lawrence of Arabia spoilers. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen it. But, it, it, you know, that final scene with the, the with Paul and his mother, you know, with meeting up with the Fremen. Yeah. Paul has to take a life for the first time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. Yep. you know, and even the location looks really similar. They're both in this, like, rocky kind of, like, valley. Yeah. Um, the Lawrence of Arabia one is so much better. Oh though. my god! Oh my god! That scene is insane. The scene's insane, and the writing is much better. So, yeah, because the whole situation you know, of why of why he has he to has take to the kill life is so much better. Is like yeah. it's brutal. It's yeah. so brutal. And in this one, it's just like yeah. I guess it's just like the way of the desert. Yeah, no one and, cares. I didn't care for a single second about any of the people in the scene. Yeah, and the and, and, and contrived it, ridiculous reason why he has to take the well, life. And is just dumb. and when he does it, it doesn't. Like when when Lawrence has to take that life, you you know who it, the person is. And well, you know who the person yeah. he has to kill is. You know how hard this is for him, and you yes. see what it does to his yes his psyche, right? Like yeah. how how it damages him yeah. as a person, as a human, and like Paul, is, it just doesn't. It doesn't have any effect on him. We also don't know who he's killing, and he doesn't know who he's killing. So like, it's not the audience can't really even understand like anything about the situation. It's totally like alien to them and well, it's and, like and, I guess and like this yeah because we're supposed thing. to believe that there's these like cultural reasons or something um, that we don't know about yeah and it's just it, it, like comparing those two scenes, uh, scenes I think is just so interesting because they are uh, so similar like I've got to imagine that this scene is, is probably inspired in, it, by the scene in Dune was almost like 
based on or inspired by that scene from Lawrence. Yeah. You can compare them visually, actually, too, and and how one works yeah, yeah, um, yeah. so much better. Well, let's talk about the editing briefly, yeah, yeah, and then we the can editing. move on to the story because, like, we've trashed all of the <laughs> mechanics of how this movie is made, with the exception of the shot construction, mm-hmm. which we said we didn't like, but but don't think is bad, right? It's right. just it's, it's its own thing. It's more of a personal preference. It's thing. a personal preference thing. So let's talk about the editing because the editing this movie is is utter garbage. I'm sorry, but it's just absolutely horrid. It's it's interesting. It's interesting. Mistakes made repeatedly throughout the film. Yeah. I'll start with the first one, and then I'll talk about the second one more because the second one was by far the worst. Mm -hmm. The first one is shots in this movie go out of order most of the time. Mm -hmm. So normally you would do something like have an establishing shot of something and then show the interior so that the person understands, like... You know, that's just typical grammar. Yeah, right? that's just basic film grammar. Yeah. And the only time you really do something different than that is if you're trying to show uh, the surprising nature of a person's location. So <clears throat> in movies, typically you show establishing shot. You know, sometimes you put the little title card down at the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, in this movie, they actually do do sometimes. Like there was mm-hmm. one time where they said like, this Caliban is the and emperor's emperor's land something <laughs> emperor's world in this movie they'll often show the interior first they'll show like for example in the opening they'll show Paul Atreides waking up mm-hmm. then they cut to outside in this movie the outside shot doesn't show you where he is right right so it's just an unrelated outside shot maybe he's somewhere under those clouds or there's a tiny thing somewhere in the shot I missed. But all I see, because I cut to it for a brief second, is just clouds with a little title card that says... Caladan. Wherever they are. Yeah. Then it cuts to an unrelated scene. So it's interior... Close up. Close up. Unrelated exterior. No idea where the characters are. Cut to totally different scene, different room. Character is still there, but with a different person. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just, it makes no sense. It's weird. It's weird. Yeah. If you would rearrange those so that you saw the clouds first, right? But they couldn't do that because they wanted Paul Atreides to wake up. Why do they need Paul Atreides to wake up? Because they needed to show a crappy exposition dump at the beginning of the film, right? It all, they're basically constantly compensating for their ham-fisted storytelling. Yeah. Creating a alienating series of images for the viewer because they couldn't put them in the correct order. Because you put them in the correct order, you couldn't show Paul waking up from your bad exposition dump that starts at the beginning. Right. Now, why you need to do that, I don't know, because you're about to watch a bunch of documentaries on a little freaking multimedia CD-ROM from 1995 <laughs> playing in his bedroom, but whatever. So... That drove me nuts. And this happens all the time in this movie. They're like shots will go out of order. Mm-hmm. Like like the way you would normally order organize a series of shots, they like will swap. So it's like, wait, what? Or they'll intercut two scenes so in ways is, that don't This is what I was noticing. Like okay. there was a few times <laughs> where they did Yeah, I have the, some notes on yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you do. The one I can think of off the top of my head is when it cuts to after uh, uh Oscar Isaac has mm-hmm. been like He's about to die, right? Like, he's, yes. he's sitting there, like, naked in yeah, the chair. I have this one written yeah, down. Yeah, because it's like, it cuts to that suddenly. I can't remember what scene it cuts from, but it cuts to him just lying there in the chair, and then it, like, I don't remember, like, pans over. It's a very brief yes. thing. And then and you see, you know, I think you see uh, Skarsgård or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it immediately cuts back to the other scene. It was super short, and it's nothing terrible. happened in it. Terrible. And I was like, it was just, what? Like, what? It's absolutely terrible. Yeah. 
Here's the worst one of those. So yeah. in that same sequence, this is it's it's one of the worst things I've ever. Like, I keep saying it's one of the worst things I've ever seen. I'm not <laughs> exaggerating. I, I have no idea. Like I almost never see this. Yeah. It's a very rare mistake to make because in in an edit room. You can watch it. So I'm assuming most directors would just go, oh, that's too confusing to take that out or whatever. Yeah. Somehow that never happened here. Yeah. In that scene, uh, that same scene, uh, well, scene is is hard to mm. say here. So in that sequence, yeah. there is a part where Skarsgård floats over mm-hmm. and he's talking, well, talking, quote unquote, mm-hmm. interacting with Oscar Isaac. They're gonna, Isaac's going to about to poison him with the poison mm-hmm. gas uh, tooth. Yeah. Skarsgård looks down at Oscar Isaac. So it's POV, like, to the side of Oscar Isaac, looking up at Stellan Skarsgård. Mm-hmm. Skarsgård looks down as if to look at whatever Oscar Isaac is doing. Mm-hmm. We then cut, which is to what the audience would assume will now be over-the-shoulder Skarsgård POV to see what Oscar I- what he's looking at. Mm-hmm. That's what happens in every other film ever made, right? Mm-hmm. Cut to that. Instead, we cut to an unrelated place, an insert shot. So it's someone's hands, we don't know who, opening a thing. Mm -hmm. For a good five seconds, I thought that was Oscar Isaac's hands doing something or Mm, something mm, mm, because mm. we can't see any faces. It's an insert shot. Who cuts from a guy looking down at something to an insert shot? Yeah. You have no, you're so temporally and spatially alienated in this picture. Yeah. It's nuts. Yeah. It's weird because this is a problem I see a lot more in TV shows. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like you see this in movies very often. That that jarring, like jumping around too quickly between stuff and and never, like it's just really weird. Well, one of the other problems is because he insists on everything being, you know, monochromatic shot through an orange filter or right, whatever. Everything looks the same, so you when can't you tell. When you do a cut, yeah, you can't you, tell. You can't it, like, tell. It's not yeah. like one is cool lit and one is warm lit, so you always know you're flipping between two different scenes. Or the lighting is different. It's always exactly the same. Or the sets are different. So they cut between an orange Stellan Skarsgård and an orange Paul Atreides hands, and I don't know right. that, that that was what happened, right? right? Or, or in the fact that your environments <clears throat> all look the same. Yeah. So that was the second kind that I was talking about. At least they cut these uh, between these insert shots, and I wrote down a ton of them here. I don't know that it's worth um, like belaboring the point, yeah. but like there were so many of these that like I actually like got tired writing them down. <laughs> it's like really, really common uh, in this movie, and I that one was particularly bad. The other example that I I, I looked through my notes and mm-hmm. I found the other one because I, I was like, there's another one that was like so bad I want to mention it because it wasn't just like oh yet another one of these sort of like yeah, weird yeah, insert yeah. shot cuts. It's just like not great that because that Skarsgård one was absurd. This one was also absurd. At the end of the movie, Paul Atreides, he's he's on the, the so the first half of this movie is like bunch of establishing crap I don't care about. The second half of this movie is like bad road trip with mom. Yeah, right. Is like that's how it's structured. Yeah. So in bad road trip with mom. <clears throat> At one point, they end up in a bunch of rocks because the scenery is either them in a bunch of rocks or them on a sand dune, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they're a very, in- a very dark, un- like lack of co- sand dune with no color. Yes. Yeah. So they're in a bunch of rocks and uh, they're walking. Mm-hmm. And Paul Atreides looks. He looks like he, he, <laughs> his, his fo- focus shifts. He like he's like looking ahead and then he looks to the side, mm-hmm. like he's looking at something. Then they cut. To a bunch of freemen, or fremen, however you pronounce that, s- sitting on a rock, 
looking back at him. But there, that's not what that was. That was some completely other place. They're not looking at him. Mm, mm, they, in mm. fact, are on a completely different rock. And then it cuts back to Paul Atreides and he keeps walking. This is a real thing that happens in this yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's insane. And worse yet is there's a grammar for Paul Atreides hallucinates. It's this like weird, fuzzy, like sparkly yeah, yeah. thing in slow motion that happens. This wasn't that. It just cuts to literally there's like a normal shot of these guys yeah, standing like, there. Is it supposed to imply that they're watching him? Is it supposed to I have no is it idea. supposed to be a vision he's having? Like is I don't it it's, know. it's really unclear. It's no, really I, bad. I remember that one too. Terrible. I remember that one too. Yep. It's just absolutely terrible. I mean, I don't know what it was supposed to to yeah. uh, establish because it's just arbitrary. The other thing that I, I, I found kind of annoying, like I get that Paul is supposed to be having these visions and that's a part of his character. I get that. But the the I found the visions in general to be extremely annoying and um, they did not help the movie at all. Right. Like they didn't. I, I think randomly cutting to Zendaya's Absolutely. face a ton of times d- does nothing for this movie at all. Well, the way I wrote it down is we constantly see flash forwards or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Yeah. In this film. I mean, it's a good it's got to be a good 10 percent of this film is, is it's, that yeah. it's very long. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's got to be, you know, many minutes of this film are spent watching these flash forwards. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes the same flash forwards. Like how many times I got to see a knife in a sheath lying on some sand? A- apparently four or five if you're Right, right. Or like a bloody hand movie. or Zendaya, like her face turning and like wearing yeah. a cloak or whatever. Yeah. And uh, it's like the movie constantly flashes forwards to some better movie that we don't yeah, see. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's like it's like, hey, you're watching this really boring movie where nothing happens, but l- like, hey, you know, maybe someday if you're patient, yes. we'll get to a movie that doesn't suck. That's exactly later, what it feels like. Right? It feels like, hey, stuff happens in the future, so like stick with us now yeah. because it's gonna get interesting. Yeah. And On like the, the next the, arrested well, development. Like, <laughs> the only thing that is making it interesting like you don't care about the characters, but you're like, oh well, maybe it gets interesting. Like, like, right? Yeah. Make the characters interesting now. Make yes. you care about them now. Yes. And, and not just by like, you know, dangling something interesting in the future and being like, well, hey, maybe it'll get interesting. Like that's such a weird choice, and it just doesn't really work either. Um, it's not interesting because I don't care. Right. That's the other problem. Is like you the. Showing me visions of things that are going to happen is interesting if I'm really heavily invested in the story of the characters. Right. Because it's a clue to where things might be going. And that's, like, exciting. Like, I would imagine that in stories that really work for people, like, you know, I don't know, like Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings, things like that, that, Mm -hmm. like, people were really into the movies or whatever. And I don't know. Heaven help us. Maybe that's Dune for some people watching this movie. I don't know. But, like... Getting these little glimpses of a prophecy or something is, like, exciting because it's like, oh, I care about these hobbits and what they're doing. And now I've got this, like, oh, how is that going to come into play? Right. In this movie, I'm like, I don't care. Uh, that mo- that looks like some things are happening that, that I don't know. I don't – we haven't even really – gotten to anything interesting or like that so it's just stuff, stuff that happens yeah. I, I guess I, think it you know, also, I don't care I think it also probably diminishes those things when they eventually do end if, if and you when keep they, seeing them yeah because you've, you've seen them a bunch they're not the kind of scenes that the context changes right like no that's a kind of flash forward where you think as a viewer you have like one understanding about it but then when you get to that scene 
your understanding of that scene totally changes, yeah. right? And that's a, that's like pretty interesting. But yeah. these aren't the that kind of scene, really. They're just like. Well, my yeah. assumption is again that basically this is a movie where it just leans way too heavily on the book. Like, yeah, it, it, I feel like it has that audience empathy problem. Yeah, where the people who worked on the screenplay don't remember the fact that the audience, half of them or more, haven't read the book. So they don't have the context for well, why this would be interesting. And so yeah. what you see, so if we if we move on to narrative stuff now, because it sounds like that's sort of where we are. Mm-hmm. So to me, the narrative of this movie is just an epic disaster in that sense for two reasons. Both shot selection, which I thought was horrid, but also dialogue, which was also horrid. So the vast majority of dialogue in this movie, I, I might say all of it, mm-hmm. like like it, I might even go say it's just 100%, is dialogue which doesn't actually work if you haven't read the book. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, they are doing things that would only make sense in the context of a story that you haven't seen. Yeah. For example, many times throughout this thing, a character will just say an abstract, bizarre quote. Mm-hmm. These quotes come out of left field. They do not match what is happening on the screen in any way. And they don't add anything to the story we're actually watching. Yeah. But I'm quite sure they were an important quote, like, in the book or whatever. They would have made sense had you read the book because, like, that character says that memorable line mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. in the book. Yeah. Worst character for this is Josh Brolin. There's literally a scene oh, yeah. where we cut to a board meeting. A guy says one line, which is, I got the Harkonnen's books. Josh Brolin then says an absurd quote like that sounds like it's out of like the Bible or something. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And we see him having a little book. So I guess if you read the actual book, Dune, you might know that this is a very devout guy or something. Doesn't really get established in this movie, but like at one point he's reading a little Bible. Mm-hmm. Like he has yeah. one, right? So yeah. I was assuming like, oh, if we actually had a real story here, this would be this guy where who we would have seen him going to church or something. If they have that in this world, I don't know, because we've never seen any location outside of a bedroom in this entire movie. So like, I just don't know, but I'm assuming that that's what's going on. The same thing happens uh, with the uh, judge of the change. Mm-hmm. She spontaneously says a ridiculously complex quote at one time. It's completely out of character. She never does that again. Most of the dialogue is like this. Yeah. Either... It's something completely out of left field that makes no sense in the movie, but probably made sense Mm -hmm. in the context of the book. Or it's an expository whole fill. Yeah, yeah. Somebody says something about Spice because if they didn't, you'd never know because we never see anything like that. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, we never see uh, people doing international, uh, sorry, interstellar navigation. So we don't know that you need Spice for interstellar navigation. So somebody has to say that at a completely random time that nobody would say that because everyone in this world would know that. There's no way you wouldn't know that concept in that world. It'd be like saying in this world, like to a a grown adult, alcohol makes you drunk. You're like, we all know that. But if that was a conceit on your world, some character has to say it because they couldn't be bothered to actually show it happening. Mm -hmm. Right. So the dialogue is just terrible. I I hated it. I hated it the entire time. It goes right down even to mechanical operations. So, for example, in one scene, they're going, they're in like a, 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 a little dragonfly, flap, flappy a copter little dragonfly thing. thing. Yeah, yeah, a little dragonfly thing. 
the dragonfly thing like is decommissioned like remotely. Like it's like they shut it off mm-hmm. using some kind of remote control system, I guess, which we've never seen happen. And by the way, which doesn't happen to uh, Duncan Idaho's chopper for reasons that are completely never explained. Mm-hmm. So basically, like they can shut off one chopper, but they can't shut off the other chopper because, like you know, they're just they're just that good at understanding the dragonfly controls or something. Maybe Duncan Idaho knows how to turn off the automatic shutoff, and these guys don't. Maybe. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Point being, they shut off the chopper, and so Road Trip with Mom has to start, and he finds, like, or she finds, I don't remember who picks it up, a, like, backpack thing. Yeah, yeah. And the backpack thing is presumably what has, like, the tent and everything in yeah. it. Now, in a normal movie... When you were actually telling a story that you wrote and are trying to show this sequence of events, mm-hmm. what happens is the thing lands and you have two characters. So one of them says, we've got to get out of this chopper. Mm-hmm. They probably know where it is. The other one says, we're never going to be able to survive in the desert. The other one then says, look for something. There's probably a survival kit. They rummage through it. They find it and they go like, okay, what does it have in it? It's like, okay, this is a tent. I can use this. Mm-hmm. Cut to the next shot within the tent, right? Mm-hmm. That's how it works. In this movie, none of that happens. They just are rummaging through it for some reason. They pick the thing up and then the guy says something from the book. He's like, it's a grombolombolombolus. It was like a frem kit or something. Right? Yeah. We don't know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. The only reason you would say that in this movie is because you read the book and wanted to think other people to think it was cool that you got this thing. Well, and that's definitely how the flash forwards and all feel to me is like they feel like a thing for people who read the book being like, hey, yes, wink. You see this? Yeah. Like, that's what it feels like. I'm sorry I'm yelling. This movie is so aggravating to me. I mean, I think you you probably have stronger feelings on some of this stuff than on, on like the some of the. Yeah. plotting and story stuff than I do just because I think you tend that's that's where you tend to like really focus well, and dialogue I, and dialogue you know and, I'm a, yeah. I, I want my dialogue to be good I mean and, and I think for me it all ties into like for me it's the characters right where like what what you're reacting to I'm also reacting to but I'm reacting to I'm I'm sort of reacting to more like the end result of like that right it's a different symptom of the same disease exactly right? the exactly. disease is the same but you're having one symptom and I'm having the other exactly yeah. exactly um and so yeah f- for me it's like sort of the manifestations of that those issues come out in 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 just like these really boring characters who you have, can't emotionally connect with them at can't. all you know you can't and as as we said before the only one I think you can is Duncan Idaho I don't know I mean look I, Dune is obviously notoriously difficult to adapt it's a huge world lots of characters lots of like political maneuvering and lots of mysticism and religious stuff and um and all these different cultures and whatever and i think so it's like it's obviously a challenging thing to adapt no question it's challenging but i just think of all the like missed opportunities here yeah um i mean yeah for me the the big one that's so frustrating is just the like the lack of thought put into the world design of, of these different places like which we also just don't see I mean that was the, the yeah, thing I was saying yeah, it's like, never it's like see, yeah yeah there's the lack of of thought put into the design but also we don't see most of it we yeah. don't see anything on the originating planet mm-hmm. we don't see anything on Spice World nothing yeah and I, we and never I, see I just, an interior of the city even once well and even the desert I keep thinking back to Lawrence and how how different the desert feels throughout that movie. How many different types of desert terrain you see, how many different colors, how many different feelings, right, you can get from 
how what locations you pick to shoot in in the desert and how yes. you decide to shoot them. You can get so much range from a desert. And this movie doesn't give you anything. They also do really weird... Like, again, I just can't emphasize enough how many basic movie things this movie just doesn't do. Mm-hmm. Which is fine if you're, like... If you're just a master of narrative or... So, if, if you're Charlie Kaufman or something, um, or Quentin Tarantino, and you want to do something special with narrative, great. Mm-hmm. Because you're freaking, like, you know, your galaxy brain, you're, like, 12 steps ahead of me, <laughs> and go. it's going to be great, right? Yeah. And I'm going to watch it and be, like, amazed. But in this case, it's, like, the opposite. Like, if you're kind of remedial at narrative, don't avoid all the obvious things that movies do like you can't afford it. You're not good enough for that. Mm. And that's what's happening in this movie most of the time. Hey, we're going to have a spice harvester that's gets threatened by a, uh, a worm. Oh, were you going to spend the five minutes to show one of the workers at the beginning in the city so I can see what the city looks like going to work that day so he's on the rig. Every other movie in the history of time, this is what those character cutaways are for. Hey, it's dude who works on the spice rig. He goes off that day. He says goodbye to his daughter so that someone gives a shit well, and, and, that a worm is and coming. It's, it's like a win-win for that kind of thing because then you get to see more of the world. You get to see more you of the world, see, what daily life is like You get for to see what people. the inside of the sand crawler yes. thing looks like. And, yes. the, and, and, and you, you know, there's even room there for finding out doing like little world buildy things where you don't have to just exposition yes. dump, right? There's room there for like, yes. oh, maybe there we can find out more about what Spice is for because of yes. something. You know what I mean? It's just, those are the opportunities for storytelling. Yes. The little TV in the background in the kitchen is talking about how Freeman's attacked the outer thing again. And and the the wife is like, oh, those bad Freeman. And the husband is like, I don't know. I think there's something to it. Any, this is all trite and obvious. So, you're not going to win any awards for it. But if you, so that's why I say like, if you're above that, if you're just a freaking master, great. Don't do that stuff. You've got better techniques. You've got better ways of doing it. And I'd love to see them. Right. Totally. But if you can barely manage to tell a story, which is where this film lands on the like ability to write a screenplay, you can't just just do the yeah. right thing because then at least we understand. Because yeah, I right? feel like, I almost feel like the direction that he was trying to go that Denny was trying to go is like almost like mythological or like religious, like trying to portray these characters as just like like it's not real. Yeah. yeah, everything feels just like fake. fake. Like it's like as though as though he doesn't want this any of this to feel real. Yeah. He wants it all to feel like it's some sort of religious thing or something. Yes. Like these are these are this is the story of like Jesus or something. Yes. But you know, without without and intentionally being like, we don't want to humanize these characters. Like, we want them to feel distant yeah, and, all of and alien yeah. and strange. Like, that's how we want everyone to feel. Yes. And I think that I get. I think that was like probably intentional. Which um, is nuts. Yeah, because I mean, I can see doing that for for say like how you might portray the emperor, which we who we never see, or even Baron Harkonnen. Right. Right. Like there are <clears> characters <throat> who you want to feel that way about because. They're they're frightening. They're alien. They're like they're not people you're ever going to get to know. Well, and that's part of what makes them like scary, right? Is that that feeling of almost being like godlike or beyond reach? Like there are characters who that's fine for, but when you're just treating everyone in your movie that way, um, it just 
it's weird. I don't know. It's especially weird when you look at like Baron Harkonnen mm-hmm. gets like more character development than a, yeah, lot kind of, of. a lot of the protagonists. Yeah. Um, yeah I don't know. Which is a bit strange. Uh but yeah, it's it's very, very weird. Uh I, I just don't understand it. I think the storytelling is an absolute mess and not because there was too much to cover because there wasn't. No, uh, in some ways I actually think they pacing wise and and in terms of like taking what was in the book and making it into like I actually think it was all right. Um, obviously, like I, it's a little weird where it cuts. Right. Like the movie doesn't feel quite like a movie. It doesn't feel like a movie. It feels, it feels like, like the first a long, episode of a something. TV. Yeah, yeah. That's why I say I think this Dune needs to be a TV series. Um, yeah. It cuts in just as it doesn't feel like movie pacing or movie, you know. But yeah, at, the, no. at, the, at the same time, it's not awful. Like, I don't know. So there's one and only one scene I thought was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is the escape from the dragonfly. They get oh, where captured. They use the, where they use the voice? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think so. That's, I, that was pretty uh, good. If I had to categorize. So, so, like I said, I think all the dialogue is bad. There's no, there's no good dialogue in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's all bad. Uh, there are no good scenes in this movie other than the one I'm about to talk about. Mm-hmm. I think they're all bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of the reason for that is because most of them are avolitional. So mostly what happens in this movie is just a scene is shown. That scene bears no th- – nobody in that scene is doing anything that's relevant to anybody, mm-hmm. right? It's just like, hey, there's a boardroom and some people say some stuff and then it's the next scene. Mm-hmm. There's no people trying to do specific things or anything. Mm-hmm. It's just they had to have this scene and someone had to say something so that the next scene could happen mm-hmm. because someone had to say, let's go look at the spice field before we go look at the spice field. But at no time do we ever feel like people are like solving problems or like trying to do something and failing or succeeding. That just doesn't really occur. Yeah. It's just stuff happens and off you go. Mm-hmm. The reason that I thought the dragonfly escape was actually the first and only good scene in the movie is because it's the first one where we can understand a complete narrative element. Mm-hmm. We know what is happening. We have been told earlier in the movie that Baron Harkonnen cannot order them executed directly, so he's going to try to have them dropped in the desert so that they'll just kind of die mm-hmm. in some unrelated way. It's like a technicality. It's like a loophole. And that's the best he can come up with. It, the movie doesn't really explain why that works because the Benny Gesserit, especially that like weird tall hat lady, is sort of portrayed as people who would be very hard to lie to in that fashion. People are, in fact, very afraid of this happening. They talk about that. Well, on, so, and in the scene, he literally says, like, we might have to face, face like a truth sayer or something. A truth sayer, yeah. And so, you know, I'm not really clear why this would work. Because it is very overt and dropping someone intentional, in the desert. and yeah. everyone is knows that they're doing it. So why it would make more sense for them to be able to get away with it this way is not clear. Maybe they just think they won't get asked. I don't know. But point being, that was stupid, but at least it's set up. Mm-hmm. So I know that we're going into the desert to do this. So the audience knows that the characters are in trouble. They know why they're in trouble, right? Yeah. Now... We've established that they have this thing they can do where they can say the voice. But we also established earlier in the movie that Paul's not great at it yet. Right. So we know there's a little bit of a, a thing there where he doesn't know. It's that, it's that kind of classic moment of like the character has to do the thing. He has to, to do the thing. To right? get out of the situation. Classic yeah. narrative. Well done. 
you have the earlier scene in the movie to establish that. Good on you, right? Traditional narrative done correctly. We also know that the, like, women generally are the only people who can do this. They don't teach men. Uh, it's not really said why, but but it is said that the they don't. is just all women. So they have gagged her, yeah. but not him, mm-hmm. which makes sense. Yes. There's actually a logical reason why that would occur. Yes. Right? And then we get to see a nice scene play out where he has to try to do the voice and he does the smart thing with it, mm-hmm. which is if he can just manage to get them to take her right. muzzle off because she's way better at it, mm-hmm. then she can basically manipulate them, which is what she does. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like that whole scene was the only time in the entire movie that felt like a real scene. Totally. We set oh, yeah. something up. The audience knows what the stakes are. They know the abilities of the character and what might or might not work. They put it one deaf character in there so that you can't manipulate him, right? It was just really well done. In the whole way that it was worked out, it was the first time the movie felt like they actually cared about telling an yeah. actual story in a movie. No, it's totally strange how that that scene feels so different. It feels like it's out of a different movie. Exactly. It feels so different than the rest of the movie. Um, and you got the it, sign language in there. Oh, it's and it's really good. Yeah. It's just really good. And I like the effect of the voice. Like, I like that the audio effect that they do um, and the idea of it is just cool. Like, um, Dune is filled with, like, cool ideas. I love the shields. Another thing I liked. Um, the they concept, looked kind of cool. The, they, the visuals was, like, cool, but I liked the concept of them a lot. Yeah. And it, it kind of is a fun way of, like, justifying why you'd be using swords in this, like, future <coughs> world. So, like, there's lots of, like, cool ideas. Um, visually, uh, you know what? There's one scene. I really kind of liked the scene as well. Not the whole scene, but parts of it. When the um, Arrakis gets attacked. When the, the, the big attack comes at night. Um, mm. And, every, like, all the bombs are coming down and all the ships are getting blown up and there's just tons of explosions. It felt like really dramatic just because, it, you know, everything was getting destroyed. Um, yeah. The whole scene itself didn't necessarily work um, when there was any humans involved, like when they were running, you know, when the the music kicks in, the like we were talking about before, like the, you know, the um, I guess it's sort of the Atreides theme. If there is one in this movie, the yeah. bagpipes, when that kicks in, it just doesn't work. All the guys running, I, it just doesn't work for me. But I do think I... The, the visuals of just, like, all of those ships getting blown up, uh, I, I don't know. I thought it was kind of effective because it's so dramatic and big and, like, everything's getting blown up. I don't know. I mean, it 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 was kind of okay. It kind of just looked like we had a little fight in the parking lot to me. Like, I didn't, I didn't really love it. Um, but more importantly, like, narratively, I just hated it mm-hmm. uh, because – if you don't read the book, maybe the book explains the stuff, but it made like no sense. I, I couldn't understand anything that was happening. I was like, okay, so basically like you've got guards. The guards don't have shields. That doesn't make any sense to me. I have no idea why that would be. Well, I, um, I was also specifically talking about uh, not any scenes with humans. Just scenes. Oh, right. Yeah. Just scenes where like the big crawlers and stuff are getting blown up. Yeah. Anything external. I just thought they were cool explosions, and I liked the <laughs> I liked the visual effects okay. of like of the stuff getting blown up and like hitting the shields and then breaking through the shields yeah, yeah. and like I don't know I just thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, it was all right. I just didn't care because it just didn't make sense. I was like, I don't know. I don't even know. What's I'm not in- sure that I cared, but I just from okay, spectacle yeah. for spec like okay. spectacle wise, I thought it was a good spectacle. All right. Um, and I also felt like there just weren't enough people. It's always a problem in this movie, um, yeah. Like, it was like, okay, there's supposed to be this massive battle, and there's like 12 dudes, and it's like, eh. 
Yeah, there's um, a bunch of guys running. Like when they're running with the explosions behind them, that looks terrible. It looks terrible. It, it like it doesn't look like those like Lord of the Rings shots where they were like, okay, there's just like a crap ton of guys. Mm-hmm. There's like infinite orcs and infinite humans. So I get it. It's like a giant battle. This one's like, all right, there's 50 dudes total. And they're like on a stairwell or something, and I'm like, okay. Yeah, it's weird how it didn't feel like a big battle this, at all. Like the more, the bigger the movies get these days, the like less the the, the smaller the scale seems to get. <laughs> yeah, if that makes sense. Like you watch something like Lawrence of Arabia again, and just the scale of it, um, with just the number of people, and and it just feels huge, right? Like it feels absolutely epic, and. Uh, and something gets like lost a little bit when you don't have that scale in a film, but you're trying to tell a story that like wants to have that scale, right? This these worlds feel empty, as you've said a million times. Like it doesn't feel like anyone lives here. Um, it doesn't feel like there's anybody. These armies feel tiny. Um, it's just it doesn't. It, you know, you're you're trying to tell the story about these like epic warring families yes. in this galactic scale, and and it just feels like there's no people. Yeah, I mean, well, a lot of the shots are like one guy in a giant room with nothing in it. Yeah, and that just like does not feel epic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, absolutely. Um, it feels like incredibly empty, and you know, the entire movie definitely feels that way. Whether whether it's that or giant hangars with nothing in them. There's like three, you know, planes in a hangar the size of like a Boeing construction yard. And you're just like, again, it just feels like it, it feels almost like a deserted area. It's like if you were telling me that this was an army occupying, like it's it's the like remains it like, of, of a, a force civilization. Yeah, yeah. occupying an area that no one lives anymore. Yeah. I would believe you. But this supposed to be both the place they start, which is the planet they ostensibly are ruling currently and the spice world it always just felt like there was no one there yeah it was just it was just uh, abandoned yeah yeah you know um and i i also didn't understand the the fundamentally the conflict between the fremen and the harkonnen originally because i don't they just have a city and they harvest a little spice around with their little harvesters What's the conflict? It's a giant desert. Who's going out into the desert and bothering the Fremen in the first place? I don't know. Um, I, I didn't understand any of that. Uh, and so when the Atreides showed up and they had the meeting with the Fremen and he was like, you know, we can totally get along. I'm like, yeah, I would think you just could. Like, what's the... So they didn't establish that conflict either. They just... You're just supposed to know that there is one. It's like, I don't know why. Um, the Fremen don't use the spice. It's not like they were doing anything with it. So I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. Well. I imagine there was something like, oh, the spice fields are where their settlements are. So we had to like bulldoze their settlement away or something. Like would have been nice to see. Never saw it. So we just don't even know why the conflict is occurring. Again, despite all the exposition dumps, they they couldn't be bothered to actually tell us like the information that would have been useful, which is why this conflict is happening um, in the first place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I don't know. I feel like, we keep, you know, there's there's so much you could just keep going on and on about. Yeah. But at the same, you know, I think we've basically said. We've covered all the main And I mean, bits. I mean, we're really hating on this movie. And I, I know there's going to be a lot of people listening yeah. who strongly disagree with us. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm sorry. I could keep going, but L- we'll leave it at don't. that. Please don't. Uh, so anyway, hated the movie. Uh, I also, and the last thing I'll say about this movie is if you're going to have 
credits for a movie that anyone's <laughs> supposed to read. Check the DPI setting on Windows first because I think they've got it set to like fifty percent. Yeah, and they the c- so everything's really, really tiny. Oh it's my god, like, it's hilarious. They they did the credits on a 1080p monitor and then rendered the movie at 4K, <laughs> and so now you've got these tiny fonts that no one can read. Yeah, it's really. It's good. like. Half the size of a normal credits font. It's very funny. Um, I, I don't know what that was about. I don't either. Well, movie club, I'm sure we're going to get a lot of disagreement here. So let us know. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know what you think. And I would say, like, of the two movies, I actually like Le Grand Bleu better. Really? Oh, I would say this was yeah. much more. This Because the two movies we didn't like on movie club, basically, is, is this and Le Grand Bleu. Really? I, yeah. Oh, I would much rather watch Dune than Le Grand Bleu than, than The Big Blue. I think I... I would agree with you that I would rather watch Dune again if I had to watch one again. Mm-hmm. But Dune leaves me with nothing other than complaints. Whereas, like I said, at the end of our Le Grand Bleu episode, I didn't like watching the movie, but I did feel like it managed to get a sense. There was a sense of something in that movie that did come through for me. There was okay. like a feeling that I did get, yeah, yeah. and that's kind of rare in movies. So I was like, I I do think that something happened in mm-hmm. that film, mm-hmm. whereas nothing happens in Dune for me. So yeah, Dune is a very forgettable movie. Very, it's the, forgettable the immediately like, after you watch yeah, there's it. There's stuff that sticks with you just partly because it's weird, yeah, um, but yeah. partly because it's yeah, it's just a, it's a. Yeah, a more unique movie. So of the, in the shootout for bottom spot, Dune wins for me. Okay. Uh, Kind of by a landslide, really. Okay. There's nothing else on the movie club that's really wow. Close. Well, you heard it here, folks. Yeah. Casey Miratori hates hates Dune. Denny Villeneuve's Dune. So yeah, well, I'm sure this is going to be a contentious uh, comment section. We'll see. Yeah, but, it will um, be contentious comment section. But you know, sometimes controversy is important. Yeah, and so thanks for listening. And I think next week we're going to do everything, everywhere, all at once. That'll be interesting. Neither of us have seen that movie. Neither of us have seen it. Actually, I've intentionally I've tried to know. I've heard a lot about it, but I intentionally tried to know as little about it as possible because exactly. I want to go in not knowing I anything. don't know what the story is, yep. but but people say it's good. Yep. Um. So. So, yeah. We'll see you here next week. Take it easy, everybody. Bye.